On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. And welcome to About Books. In a few minutes, we'll talk about the impact and some of the controversies surrounding the book review website, Goodreads. But first, here's some of the latest news from the publishing world. Well, nine months after a federal judge blocked the publishing merger of Simon & Schuster and Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster has found a new home. The private equity firm KKR has agreed to purchase the 99-year-old company for a reported $1.6 billion dollars. In making the announcement, KKR said that Simon & Schuster president and CEO Jonathan Karp will continue to lead the company. In other news, Amazon recently removed five books from its website that were attributed to Jane Friedman after the author claimed that she never wrote those titles. Friedman said that she believes the books were generated using AI technology. Friedman, who also authors a newsletter on the publishing industry, said on her Twitter page, quote, this promises to be a serious problem for the book publishing world. How long until it happens again? What about authors who don't have the ability to raise a big red flag like I do, unquote. And one note on book sales numbers this summer, the news website Publishing Perspectives noted that July sales were down 4% year on year. Year to date, some 408 million books have been sold in the United States through July. And finally, one tragic piece of publishing news. Bloomsbury Publishing lost its president, Adrian Vaughn, in a boating accident off the Amalfi Coast earlier this month. The Associated Press reported that Ms. Vaughn, who was 45 years old, died when the motorboat that she was traveling in crashed into a chartered sailboat. The AP noted in its report that Ms. Vaughn's husband and the skipper of the motorboat were also injured in that collision. Before joining Bloomsbury, Vaughn had worked at Scholastic, Disney Publishing, Oxford University Press, and several other publishing houses. She was elected to the Association of American Publishers Board of Directors earlier this year. And now a discussion with New York Times book reporter Elizabeth Harris. We talked to her about the review website Goodreads, how that website can help with sales numbers, but also about the online phenomenon known as review bombing. Elizabeth Harris is a books and publishing reporter for the New York Times. Ms. Harris, in a recent piece you wrote entitled How Review Bombing Can Tank a Book Before It's Published, you tell the story of author Cecilia Rabess. Who is that? 
Cecilia Rebess was a, a data scientist um, at Google who wrote a novel and sold it to Simon and Schuster, uh, and then quit to uh, focus on writing. And uh, the book, which is called Everything's Fine, uh, was this really anticipated book. And Simon Schuster had very high hopes for it. It was on a bunch of uh, most anticipated books of the summer lists and things like that. Um, but months ago, before before the book was even out, uh, there were some reviews copy review copies sent out um, to advanced readers, which is a thing that um, publishers do for for most books. And um, they uh, and sorry, review copies were sent out uh, to some advanced readers, and somebody. Um, found the jacket copy problematic. It describes a black woman who goes to work at Goldman Sachs, um, who then has a relationship with a conservative white guy um, who has bigoted views. And um, without reading the book, somebody posted on social media that they found the premise offensive. And it kind of blew up. And there was a lot of responses on social media. And then it moved to Goodreads, which is this platform that's sort of a combination of like a review website like Yelp and also sort of part social media platform where anyone can review any book. And suddenly the book had tons and tons of one star reviews. And, you know, written by people who said, I've never read the book, but I object. I object to the idea, basically. Um, and this is this is a thing that can happen where people who haven't actually read the book can weigh in publicly and it can kind of take off and take a life of its own, take on a life of its own. And there can, you know, one person expressing a view. Great. But then sort of it can it can snowball and suddenly you can end up with dozens or hundreds of negative reviews, um, even if only a handful of people in the world have read the book. And who owns Goodreads? Amazon. Amazon bought it in 2013. And can anybody post on Goodreads? Yes. So it's Goodreads is interesting because um, so yeah, anyone anyone can post. You can you know set a profile and, and uh, post reviews um, and. Uh, there's this this tricky problem right where you you don't want you don't really want people reviewing a book they haven't read but also you can't um oops i'm so sorry um uh you don't want people reviewing a book they haven't read but you also have to be if you're a publisher for example like you don't necessarily want people to have to prove that they purchased the book in order to review it because what would that look like? Amazon owns Goodreads, so would it be that only people who buy a book on Amazon can review a book is not necessarily something you as a publisher and author would want. So it's it's a tricky problem. But yeah, anyone anyone can post. Um, and it's it's a huge platform now with you know an enormous number of readers, and it's a huge a really huge undertaking to really get in and moderate every comment and have a, you know to have a human do that would be would be just enormous and expensive um and so it's you know it's it's ballooned into this you know huge platform that's very influential and important for publishers um but you know in in some cases can be wonderful and in some cases can get pretty out of control so people are objecting to everything's fine or were objecting to everything's fine because of the premise of the book rather than the the what's written in the book. That's right. Um, yeah, it was, 
there were, I mean, there were maybe some people who had read the book because there were advanced copies out there. And that happens for, you know, books that are highly anticipated is they'll send out, publishers will send out review copies trying to get buzz going often on Goodreads. You know, they want people to read the book and review the book and leave positive comments. Um, But many of the comments on Goodreads and also on social media were people just trashing the, the, the premise without having actually engaged with the book itself. Now, Elizabeth Harris, we talked to you previously on Book TV about Book Talk. How does Goodreads compare to Book Talk? You know, they serve, in a way, they serve kind of similar purposes within the world of books. I mean, the biggest challenge for a book or a publisher right now is to get a book noticed. Um, you know, the the sort of Traditionally, people might wander around a bookstore and maybe a, maybe a cover would catch your eye or a book would be sitting next to a book you were looking at. You put it down, you pick up the next one or there's a staff recommends table or something. And there was a lot of sort of accidental discovery that happened in bookstores that really, for whatever reason, just doesn't happen online. Like usually if we go to a big online retailer, say, we go looking for a book, we search for the book, we buy the book, we leave the website. Maybe the algorithm says, you know, you might also like this and this, maybe you look at it, maybe you don't, but for whatever reason, it's just, it doesn't, it just doesn't translate the same way as going into a bookstore that's sort of finding these, these accidental discoveries. So, um, uh, book talk is great for, um, you know, it's, it's been this incredible engine for book discovery because books will go viral on, on TikTok. People just sort of talking about these books they love and they'll sell and they'll kind of shoot up the bestseller list. Um, now retailers pay attention to what's going on on BookTok and like Barnes and Noble, for example, will have, you know, tables of as, as seen on BookTok where they sort of promote, you know, it's sort of this cross promotional thing where they kind of call attention to the books that are doing well on BookTok and, uh, you know, sort of a cycle that feeds into itself. Um, and Goodreads is, um, is sort of similar in a way in that it's another way where publishers and authors hope their books will be discovered. Um, you know, that if you can get people excited about a book and you send out advanced copies, for example, and get people writing good reviews, it can help, um, you know, it can help generate buzz and it can be a place where, you know, people go and find out about a book. Often, you know, people will Google a book and like, oh, it has four or five stars on Goodreads. I'll go check it out. If it has one or two, eh, maybe I'll skip it. Um, so it's 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 a similar it's similar and it's just trying to help people you know from an author and a publisher's perspective it's a, it's another way to help their books get out there so it's become really really important and can be really great for that and can really you know uh, start conversations and be a, a place where people who love books can engage with the books and engage with each other um, and you know and help you know get the word out. And in your review bombing article in the New York Times, you write that, quote, publishers face a near existential problem to reach readers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's it's a it's really an incredible challenge, this discoverability issue. I mean, there's, um, you know, fewer there's it's how to describe it. It's basically that, you know, even if, you know, 100 books sold this year and 100 books sold 10 years ago, it would be the concentrations are different. Whereas, you know, it would have been sort of a greater number of books selling the same quantity. Now it's a few books that sell a ton. And that's how you sort of reach that same quantity. Um, So there's, you know, that's a very rough 
you know, back of the envelope explanation, but that's the idea, right? Like there's Colleen Hoover, for example, who is a author that really blew up on TikTok, um, has just dominated the bestseller list for, gosh, I mean, well over a year at this point, which is really unheard of. You know, she has, you know, sometimes five, more than five books at a time on the bestseller list. I mean, it's it's really incredible. And, you know, that that didn't used to be the case, but it can you know, a few books can just like take off and take off and keep and keep kind of cycling because when you get on the bestseller list, that too is a form of discovery and a form of advertising in a way. Like people look at the bestseller list to figure out what to read next. So once you're on it, you know, that helps propel you. And, you know, she's still big on TikTok and that helps propel you. And once you become big, people go, people hear of you and that helps propel you. And so, you know, there's this this sort of narrowing of the funnel of of books that get readers' attention. And it's it's really, it's a really enormous challenge for publishers trying to figure out, you know, how do you how do you reach readers with more books? And no one's quite cracked the code yet. Well, speaking of Colleen Hoover, have you ever had the chance to talk to her? I've noticed that about the bestseller list as well, that she's got four or five on there on a regular basis. I haven't. She's very charming on social media though. <laughs> Are there other sites like Goodreads, Book Talk? that we should know about? Let's see. I mean, you know, Instagram served a similar purpose for a while. It still sort of does, but it never moved books the way BookTok does. Uh, YouTube also used to be like kind of people talking about books on YouTube a lot. And that sold some, but, you know, really like BookTok is, is really its, its own, its own kind of crazy thing right now. And Goodreads is, um, is is another you know huge i mean it's amazon right so it's huge <laughs> um it's hugely important in the world of books those are i mean you know they're they do slightly different things but they're kind of um i don't know if comparable is the right word but they are they are at the at the top i would say did amazon start goodreads originally they did not they bought it about 10 years ago do you know who started it i don't remember i've only been covering books for three years to be completely honest so going back to Cecilia that out. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Going back to Cecilia Rebes. What happened to Everything's Fine? Did it sell well? Did these negative reviews pre-publication hurt the sale? So it's hard to say for sure. Um so it's um it's print sales according to Bookscan, which is a company that tracks about 80% of the print market in the United States. Um so according to Bookscan, it has sold about 2400 copies so far, which is not a lot. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not it's not terrible for most books, but given the the push behind it, and the expectations for it, it's it's a disappointing number. Um, and it's uh, the thing that's sort of hard to say is it is so hard to make a book break out and maybe this would have happened anyway, but certainly what happened did not help. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, another author you talk about in this story, Elizabeth Harris, is a best-selling author, Elizabeth Gilbert. What happened mm-hmm. to the snow forest, her pending book? Yes. So Elizabeth Gilbert announced um, her next her next novel recently called The Snow Forest um, and almost immediately got a huge amount of backlash on social media, on um, Instagram and Goodreads in particular. Um, the book is a novel that's set in Russia um, in the mid 20th century. And um, the objections that she got was was essentially that the book was set in Russia at all. And people were very upset. Some people were very upset um, that given the war in Ukraine, she was writing a, writing a book set in Russia. And what she did really shocked the literary world, I have to say, um, is that she just days later decided to postpone publication of the book indefinitely. And um, her publisher, Riverhead, um, stood by her and she was able to make that decision. And so the book has been postponed um, because it was set in Russia. And did she apologize for writing a book about that was set in Russia at some point? You know, I don't think she apologized. She said it's the, you know, I don't want to add... I could be wrong about that, honestly, and I should check, but I've, I kind of remember having a conversation about this. I know what she did say was that she um, she didn't want to add any more hurt to the Ukrainian community, which has already experienced an enormous amount of hurt and pain at this point. And this, you know, this is not the time to publish the book. That was, I believe. That was and of was course, right. Elizabeth Gilbert wrote the best-selling "Eat, Pray, Love." Elizabeth Harris, is there a is there a censorship angle here to these reviews? Let's see. I mean, it depends on how you define censorship, right? Like, this isn't government censorship. The government has nothing to do with it. But you know, is it shutting down? Is it is it shutting people down before their their views can really be heard? Like the books that get review bombed in an organized fashion before um, before anyone engages with the content. Because, you know, maybe, you know, there it's possible that someone could be offended by by the, you know, by a two-sentence description of the book, by the premise of the book, and then read the book and find that it really grapples with issues they care about, right? You never know. Um, and maybe it wouldn't, but the it does, this sort of thing does shut down discussion in a way because um, there is that sort of, that social media, you know, virality kind of jumping on that can happen where it can be hard to hear other voices um, when people are yelling really loud on the internet. But I will say that the Elizabeth Gilbert thing was interesting because um, there was backlash when she announced her book um, was coming out and it was set in Russia. Then she said that she was postponing it. But then there was a backlash to that. And a lot of people were very uncomfortable with the idea that she was pulling her book. And some people did call it self-censorship. And, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, you can't set a book 
in a country, you know, it's a historical fiction, like that kind of thing. I mean, also just the way books are written, usually you hand in a book about a year before it comes out. So like, you can't predict the future. And can you, you know, a lot of people felt that it was a bad, like a really bad precedent to declare an entire country off limits, essentially, especially coming from an author with such a big platform um, and such a following already. And there was a lot of concern initially that people would feel compelled to, um, to do the same, but it seems like the backlash to the backlash was was intense enough that I I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. So do pub do publish do publishers listen or read what's on Goodreads or on Book Talk? Yes, they try. They're definitely they definitely try and keep on top of what's on Book Talk, um, and it, it's very it's tricky to predict. Um, so it's it's hard, like in um, acquisition conversations. Uh, so like when they're deciding whether or not to buy buy a book that an author has written, um, it's you know they certainly talk about like oh this might be this might be a great book for TikTok, but they can't count on it because it's it's a pretty unpredictable thing like what's going to go viral. So um, so that's interesting. But they definitely pay attention, um, and Goodreads the same. You know they pay a lot of attention to um to how their books are performing on goodreads books that are coming out they you know their books that they um uh that they really want to perform well books they've paid a lot of money for for example uh they you know they do what they can to try and get um you know get some good buzz going on goodreads so that when the book comes out it's already got you know four or five stars or whatever it is they're aiming for um so that when people look it up when they you know when they first hear about the book because a book gets its sort of Traditionally, book talk aside, books usually get um, get the most attention right when they're brand new, and they get kind of a you know a couple weeks if they're lucky of that, um, and then often often it becomes very difficult to to surface a book after that. So publishers want there to be kind of a good stamp on Goodreads by then, at least at least a little one. They want something so that people will know to you know when they Google it, they'll say, oh, like some people have liked this book, maybe I would like it too. Elizabeth Harris, for this story, did you talk to Goodreads and what did they have to say? Uh, my colleague, Alexandra Alter, with whom I wrote the story, spoke to Goodreads. And, you know, they said they take very seriously the kind of community standards on the site and they work really hard to, you know, uh, make sure that uh, their rules are followed. Like, you know, if there are multiple reviews from one person, for example, you know that that is that is one way that like a re- review bombing, as it's called, could go. One person could write fifty one star reviews, like that's not allowed. And so they work hard to try and make sure uh, that that doesn't happen, or if it does, they take it down. Um, and then things like insulting the authors personally, things like that, are prohibited. So they, you know, they they say that they they're trying and doing their best to kind of keep a, you know, civil and robust community. Now, something else you've written about Elizabeth Harris is Bite Dance. What is that? Mm-hmm. So ByteDance is the company that owns TikTok, and uh, they are um, looking to uh, start their own publishing company, uh, which is so interesting because BookTok has become such a force um, that now uh, ByteDance wants to get on the action, get in on the action um, themselves. And is there a conflict of interest there? Hmm, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think what some authors um, are concerned about and some publishers are concerned about, uh, but especially authors, is, you know, the what happens now is that, um, you know, books go viral because people love them. And, you know, people, 
you know, will be weeping about how much they love a book on TikTok and other people will think, ah, I want a book makes me feel that much as well. And, you know, things, things go viral for authentic reasons, you know, more or less at this point. And, um, though, you know, that's, that's changing sort of, you know, the older a platform gets, the more established it gets, you know, so the more there's sort of sponsorship involved and things like that. But nonetheless, you know, it's still a pretty, it's still, you know, fairly grassroots and there's still things taking off because readers, because readers respond to them. Um, and the concern among authors is that if ByteDance starts publishing books themselves, they'll put their their thumb on the scale essentially to make their posts about their books go viral. And I mean, they haven't said they're doing this, you know, we have no idea, but if you had this platform and we're going to publish these books, presumably that would at least be a tempting thing to do, right? To make sure that your your books got seen on this platform that is so powerful for selling books. Um, and so the concern is that it will, A, take attention away from books that would have gone viral on their own because people are responding to them. Um, and that they're, and it just will, it will take, it will kind of take the oxygen out of the room in that way. And then also that it might just sort of mess up the platform, right? That people, people like the book talk community because they trust the recommendations on it because it because of you know they tend to be based in sort of people's enthusiasm for the books they read and if it becomes you know the things many of the things that are going viral going viral because by dance decides that they should go viral maybe it's not that good at what it does anymore maybe it's not that fun so those are those are sorts of the concerns that if it decided to pursue it in this way um, it could um, it could be detrimental to book talk overall. And finally, Elizabeth Harris, have publishers kept up with new strategies for review bombing and for getting their books on Goodreads or on Book Talk? Mm, you know, they're they're trying. I mean, for Book Talk, for example, you know, there's lots of publishers have a lot of relationships with Book Talk influencers now, which is sort of what I was. Ref- thinking of when I was talking about kind of increasing sponsorships as, as platforms mature. Um, so, you know, there are influencers that charge a lot of money um, for videos. Um, some of them um, have kind of rules that they make for themselves about they're only going to promote a book if they like it. Um, but I'm sure all of them do not have such rules. And, you know, who can blame them? I mean, if somebody's offering you, you know, serious money to, you know, do a 10 second review of a book, you know, I mean, such is the world we live in, right? Um, And, uh, but yeah, so publishers are, you know, send review copies out and they try and engage them, you know, they'll send, you know, kind of, um, uh, they'll create sort of these packages for for reviewers so they can have this sort of elaborate unboxing of the books um, and that makes a nice visual video and and that kind of thing. Um, So so they're trying to do that. And Goodreads is tricky um, just because, um, because it's Amazon and so it can be harder to you know, it can be it can be a hard nut to crack, and it's not you know you're not dealing with individual individual readers who are you know eager to keep their following going on TikTok. This is you know a huge, extremely powerful uh, corporation, um, and so it's a, a totally different relationship that the publishers have with them. Elizabeth Harris is a books and publishing reporter for the New York Times, and we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. And this is About Books, a program and a podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Well, each Tuesday, dozens of new books are published. Here's a few. 
Baptist minister and Christianity Today editor-in-chief Russell Moore is out with his newest book titled Losing Our Religion, an Altar Call for Evangelical America. Mr. Moore has authored several other books about religion and culture. He previously led the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. And a trio of sociology and public affairs scholars are out with a new book about America's poorest places and poorest people. The book is titled The Injustice of Place, Uncovering the Legacy of Poverty in America. It's by Princeton professors Catherine Eden and Timothy Nelson and University of Michigan professor Luke Schaefer and University of Utah philosophy and internal medicine professor James Tabory offers a warning about the future of personalized medicine in his new book, Tyranny of the Gene, Personalized Medicine and Its Threat to Public Health. And coming up on Book TV, it's our author interview program afterwards. This week, it's former United Airlines CEO and chair Oscar Munoz, who spoke about his efforts to revive the company and the future of aviation. He was interviewed by USA Today reporter Zach Wichter. Here's a bit of that interview. I talk about my first travel. I, I am traveling. No one knows that I'm about, about to become the CEO. Uh, it's you know it's going to be announced the following day. So I'm traveling incognito, and of course I have one of those hellacious flights. It's a, a small 50 seater. It's United Express, not United. Uh, we're late. We're delayed. We have issues mechanical. I mean it's just it's a litany of things that that were going wrong that day. And the way I, I, I describe it is over the course of the uh, the, the, my sitting there, I'm writing all of these things down. Why don't we do this? Why can't we do this? Why can't we communicate to our, to our customers why things are being delayed? So I'm writing all this stuff as to kind of a what's wrong column. But throughout all of that, what I observed in this small plane with one you know, human, a woman that, that was, uh, was the flight attendant, uh, watching her soothe, calm, provide a level of humanity and kindness to everyone that was concerned with connections and delays, even if she didn't have the answer. And that's what prompted me to say what, what you might, what somebody might term as cliche, is the fact that indeed, you know, it's like it's not everything that what's, what's wrong, but it's, you know, what is right. And that was the first thing I put it right. And so that gave me the impetus to your question to say, okay, uh, I just saw if I had 50,000 more people like her every day doing that sort of thing, I think the perception of our service and our value, despite a lot of things, would be more positive. And so um, uh, as I asked her a couple of questions, she didn't know who I was. Uh, she was very nice to answer the things she knew and the things she didn't. And that sort of me sort of began to get the inkling that it would be important for me to go out and listen to all of those people, all of the, all the people like her. And, and that's what prompted me to go out there. And it's also what gave me a lot of the insights of what became our real first initiative was to regain the trust of our employees first before we could do anything else. A reminder that Afterwards airs every Sunday at 10 p.m. on Book TV. Well, thanks for joining us on About Books, a program and a podcast produced by Book TV. We'll continue to bring you publishing news and author programs. And a reminder that you can get this podcast on the C-SPAN Now app. You can also watch online anytime at booktv.org.